We are the Borg. Prepare your human ears for green shirt assimilation. Existence as you know it is over. Cameron's transformation from next generation newbie is well underway. Will someone please explain the holodeck to me? Co-hosts Marcy and Rob are adding their biological distinctiveness to his. Ugh, gross. And I quit. Arnold doesn't like it. This week's episode, The Loss. Resistance is futile. (laughs) So we finally got an all-family Halloween costume since having the kids. Uh, We were going to do the Little Mermaid. I thought it was perfect. The girl could be a Disney princess. She prefers Elsa, but we got her to go with Little Mermaid. Atreyu, who is obsessed with crabs, could be Sebastian. Millie was a sexy-ass Ursula, and I got to be King Triton. I I had an old muscle suit (laughs) in the garage because I was going to be Skeletor one year, and it didn't work out. So I got to reuse that and be uh, Triton. And we thought it was perfect. When we got the kids' costumes in the mail, they were I'd never seen a kid more excited about a crab costume, and he was so adorable in it. But of course, that was a week or two before Halloween, and come Halloween, he wanted to be a mummy. Nothing else would do. We got him into the crab costume. We were going to go to the cemetery and take some pictures with some friends. And so we had the saddest little Sebastian walking through what was a surprisingly crowded graveyard. I don't know if... if <laughs> the Lone Pine Graveyard in Portland is always busy on Halloween, or if it was just because of the pandemic, that was like something people felt they could do that was Halloween-y. So they loved our costumes, except for like the, the, the just the most miserable little Sebastian walking down. We got a bunch of group photos with like the sad crab in the background. Uh, and then finally, when, once we finished with the photos, he's like, okay, I'll put my hat on and and get some group photos. So we finally managed to get like a couple good all family photos with him. I feel like he's always so grumpy in photos. <sighs> oh, he is man. such a grumpy puss. But the rest of the day was pretty good. We had a little backyard party, which uh, an amazing Bert and Ernie showed up to. Marcy, you want to talk about those costumes? <laughs> yeah, so I really like dressing up, but I haven't been thinking about it at all because I've been kind of depressed with the pandemic. And I was like, no, I've got to dress up. And so Andrew and I were in in our hot tub talking about like what we were going to be. And he's like, let's be something that's like just no, like normal for once that everyone will know. And I was like, Bert and Ernie. And he's like, that's what I want to do. And I never get Andrew actually excited in a costume. But he was like, Bert and Ernie. And I was like, okay, four days. I can do this. Thankfully, Amazon has like everything that you desire because I was like a bird and Ernie shirts and it was like really nice ones like jersey knit ones I put them on look good I got these weird googly eye like glasses they look good I bought some like fuzzy fabric for like super cheap and then like fashioned it into these like muppet looking wigs and then we had to wear masks right and so I was like oh masks will be good for like making puppet mouths but like, I put them on, and I'm like, that's really creepy, because it was, like, the color of a Muppet skin. It just did not look right. But anyway, we were very unrecognizable, because we had, like, the glasses and the mask. And so, like, a couple of our other friends were there, Rob Michaud, who's been on our podcast. No relation And, to like, me. we roll up. And, like, everybody's looking at us like, who the fuck are those guys? Yes, like, I was expecting Andrew and Marcy to show up, but there's these creepy-ass, like, straight-from-the-purge or something <laughs> creepers <laughs> in our driveway just staring at us with their giant googly eyes. 
And it was a little unnerving, but they, they are amazing costumes. They were great. Marcy. But you said that when you realized it was Bert and Ernie, you knew immediately that it was us, which that, I that's think true. is hilarious. <laughs> Once I recognized the costume, I was like, oh, Andrew and Marcy, of course. Did, and did then, you just stand at the end of the driveway like in Us? Or just yeah, the- kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Halloween was fun. We got together for their little social distancing get together. What about you, Rob? I bought a costume like last year that I had been saving up and I could not find the mask. So I didn't dress up, but I'll tell you what it is. Uh, it's Freddy Krueger sweater and a Freddy Krueger claw and a Michael Myers mask and then a green apron that says I'm Freddy Myers. <laughs> and instead That's of, awesome. instead of what's on your list today, I then say it says what's on your list to die. Oh. <laughs> So that is a next year, Rob costume. So you can find that Michael Myers mask. I'll wear that next year. Well, hello and welcome everyone to Green Shirt. I am Cameron, who is finally coming to terms with the trauma of never watching The Next Generation while growing up. And here to counsel me through that, we have the Robin Williams to my Matt Damon, Rob. How do you like them apples, Cameron? <laughs> And that's the only time I can ever compare myself to Matt Damon, so I'm I'm taking a moment. Won't be the it. first time I'm compared to Robin Williams. <laughs> the Dr. Wong to my pickle Rick. We have Marcy. Yes! I'm a pickle! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, making sure we get our shit together this week, here in the guest chair, we have, and I hope this works, the Clarice Starling to my Buffalo Bill, Shelly McClendon. I'm looking for a... Uh... Jame Gum or <laughs> Jamie Gum? <laughs> she was a psychological profiler, right? That was her. Yes. Okay. That's what it's basically what you do, I think. We'll get into that. That's right. Thank you for coming. Uh, yeah, Rob says you are an actual counselor for this very council heavy episode. I know. I want to get into this right away. Uh, me and Shelly have known each other for, like we just discussed beforehand, like about 10 years or so. And yet, for some reason, I know very little about her adult life. I know Shelly from theater <laughs> life. Uh, <laughs> and that is not adult life. <laughs> she she is the owner of the Siren Theater in downtown Portland. And I don't know if it's my fault for not asking you about your real life or mm-hmm. if it's just something that you don't like to mix with the theater life, if those two things. How do they, how do they meld together for you, generally? I try to keep them separate. Yep. I mean, I I don't keep it a secret that I'm a therapist, but I I don't always share that I own a theater with my therapy clients. <laughs> well, so uh, what is your? Uh, we made you watch Star Trek, and I want to know yeah. what what do you know about Star Trek? You are a, a newbie, like our green shirt host, Cameron. Oh, good. Very little. I think this was the first episode I've ever watched. Oh you, uh, wow! Yeah. this will be fun. <laughs> I'm just not the audience. It's just like goes right over my head. Like with this episode, the stuff where like the the therapist part, Deanna, I was super into. <laughs> I took a lot of notes. I took oh, a lot. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack. But the stuff where they're like, "There's a spaceship coming, and it's yeah. not supposed to be here." I'm like, I watched it twice. I still have no idea what that part was about. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is two dimensional? What is two dimensional? I thought Data explained it perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Cameron. <laughs> So, Shelly, throughout this uh, this episode, you ask whatever basic questions you need to have need the answer to. No questions off limits. No questions too silly. And then we will occasionally chime in with questions about therapy, if that's okay. <laughs> I hope. Love it. Well, this week we watched The Loss, which is a pretty faithful adaptation of the classic family counseling poster, The Five Stages of Grief. <laughs> 
We start right off with, um, I wrote her, I didn't know her name for a long time, so I just wrote Lady. <laughs> well, let me say, we start off with Brooks, a character we've never seen before, and a very Vaseline-covered lens. And I honestly thought for a second we were, like, in a show within the show, like a Starfleet soap opera that the crew were watching until it panned over to Deanna. And I was like, nope, it's just going to be a soap opera episode. It was a soapy one. So that woman has, you don't know who that, that the woman is that she was counseling? Correct. She's not like a main. She's just a guest star. Yeah. yeah. Kim Braden is that actress. She has some amazing hair. She's in a 1970 movie called Trog that has a cool poster. Oh, yeah. A little Anne of Green Gables miniseries is Anne Shirley. There's five <gasps> episodes of that. What? Wait. Stop. <laughs> the 1972 TV miniseries of Anne of Green Gables. From like Disney or? Probably not. Oh. So you have to check that out. And then uh, a little Alienation, just the one episode of Star Trek. She was in Alienation? Uh, Marilyn Houston in two episodes. Huh. Oh, she is in another Star Trek property. Yes, she is. Star Trek Generations. Yep. I don't think I should reveal the role. No, no, don't don't okay. reveal. Yeah. <laughs> that, the not name. Not allowed. I, I recognized her from that, too. Does she? It's not the same character, though. Mm. Or is she? Maybe she changed her identity. Yeah. She keeps saying she's a new woman throughout the whole episode. Maybe she finally becomes a new woman. Well, that's Kim Braden. Thank you, Kim Braden. All right. My first question for Shelly. Yes. It pans over to Troy. I feel like Troy looks incredibly unapproachable in this Thank scene. You. Okay. Thank you. I wrote it down. I was writing down, like, first impressions. First of all, her accent. <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with her accent. We don't know what it is. <laughs> Very like Madonna, where you, you're just like, where are you? You're so exotic. Where are you from? You know? It's West Coast Beta Z. She's from Beta, <laughs> the planet Beta Z, Shelly. Come on. Oh. <laughs> so she's part robot, part... No, what is she? She's human. <laughs> you thought she was a robot? That is so hilarious. She's, she's what? Beta Z, which is like an alien race that can speak... To other people's minds, like a telepathy person. Gotcha. But she's half human, half Beta Z, so she only has empathy power. She only feels emotions. Yeah, Beta Z does sound like a robot name. I think you're right. <laughs> it does kind of. Beta Z. Um, but Cameron, yes. Counseling 101, <laughs> you don't sit across from your client with your arms folded. Oh. It just, it looked like a choice she made. And I was like, <laughs> certainly they had an actual counselor come in and like tell her how to counsel. Well, I was talking about this after watching this episode with my boyfriend, and I'm like, I think the person that created this character had never been to counseling. (laughs) (laughs) Because of the things that come out later, and we can talk about that later. But yeah, I noticed her arms crossed, and part of me was like, maybe she just hates being in that one piece. (laughs) (laughs) She's trying to like kind of cover up a little bit. (laughs) That's absolutely fair. That's like her uniform for most of the series. How do you get in and out of it? Is there a zipper? I could what? <laughs> in the back. In the back, there's a zipper. You just teleport it on and off you. <laughs> uh, so they're going over the uh, the titular, not the titular loss, but one of the two titular losses of this episode. Mm-hmm. And we know that Star Trek has a weird relationship with death. Like in the future, people are they get over death. It's been like revealed that death is easier to get over in the future, yeah. but well, I was definitely thinking about it because you always you always defend that Rob that in this because of universe, that one line very, in that one episode, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. But I but I think it can be explained because obviously, look, it's only a couple hundred years in the future. Humans still have emotions, like we still obviously grieve and and suffer loss. But I think like as a society, society 
has sort of um, learned to cope with it. I don't know. I feel like it would be harder to get over the loss in the future because nobody, there's not as many deaths. Because people live a lot longer. And then, like, you could get your heart stabbed by a Corsican blade and still, like, live through it. You know, Shelly has no idea what we're talking about. I feel, yeah, I know. Sorry. But. I think the society encourages people to be less emotion filled, but then we like see that that doesn't really work. Yeah, and on an individual level, we still are yeah fucking wrecks. So in this this scene, Ensign Janet Brooks is like, "Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine," and then like Deanna says like one line, and she's like, <laughs> "You're right. Oh God, I miss him, and I gave up all my stuff." And then Deanna. I can't remember. Does Deanna hug her first? No, she pulls out the music box. Oh, yeah, the creepy. So then she pulls out the creepy music box. Mark was a music box lover, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, of all the things, like, why does her husband have a, like, a a jewelry music box? That's fine, I guess, if that's Mark's thing. (laughs) I guess. Um, And then she hugs her. And I don't know. Do you hug your clients a lot? I had that question, too. Thank you very much. No. Yeah. I was like, why are you hugging her? Like some therapists I think probably do hug their clients, but you do want to keep you want to keep that boundary. Like therapy is this person is being vulnerable around you. You want to keep those boundaries clear. And so if you introduce physical touch, it can be kind of it can get a little Oh, you're my friend now, and right. I can show up to your theater, and like then I go right. shake your hand after the show. You know, you don't want that to happen. Have you ever have you ever brought out a mysterious music box for a client? <laughs> um, frequently, it is it is part of my it's part of my therapy is the music box therapy. It's very powerful, and especially if there's a ballerina that rotates. <laughs> So my question is, have, have you ever been in, in the middle of like a breakthrough with a client and then suddenly got a phone call from the captain of your counseling center and needing you <laughs> in the front room immediately because they've encountered an alien species and need to make use of your abilities? Yes. Oh, <laughs> this is yeah. the first time I've wondered this. Like, does it make sense for the, uh, what I write, the the tactical psychologist of the ship to also be the cruise counselor. Like what if, you know, she was in the middle of hugging Brooks and like suddenly uh, they came across a pack of distress signal. Right. There's a lot of boundary issues here. Mm-hmm. Cameron, mm-hmm. Well, we, you know we find I mean? out there's other therapists on the ship. Apparently we find out in this. Episode That's true. Too. That's true. So like, you'd think they would like keep Troy, you know, sequestered for when they need her in a right. box that they can pull out when they need her. A music box. <laughs> is Whoopi Goldberg? What is what is Whoopi Goldberg's position on the ship? To be the fucking counselor. <laughs> That's what we all wanted. Like we've talked about this. How Whoopi Goldberg is actually the better counselor. Like mm-hmm. she does all those things. Like she keeps her boundaries. She lets people kind of more talk through their own issues instead of like telling them, you know, what she's to do. great at getting people to figure out. Yeah, figure to out answer their wrong. own questions. Yeah, because yeah. exactly. she's a bartender, Shelley. She works in Ten Forward, <laughs> which is the she is a five hundred year old bartender. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like seriously. She's also from a ancient race. How do you feel about that, Shelley? Does that make sense? <laughs> how do I feel about? How about Does that all track that this that Whoopi's a five hundred yeah. year old being? That's all. That's cool. Did that read in the scene? <laughs> <laughs> she looks amazing if she's five hundred years old. Yeah. and the hat. <laughs> I believe that's the largest hat we've seen on her head to date. Could be. So, 
we'll when we'll get we'll talk more whoopee uh you know in shortly sure, sure. where <laughs> where did the music box come from are they in ensign brooks's place no. or they're in troy secretly took the music box when Brooks was giving away all of her husband's stuff oh, and kept it because she knew in that moment when Brooks had the breakthrough that she would bring it out and provide her solace with it. So if you're telling me Troy went through Ensign Brooks's garbage, I that seems inappropriate to me. Well, we've already established <laughs> that the crew members like literally think everybody else's stuff is theirs. Yeah, every time someone dies on the ship, they go through their stuff, Rob. Yeah, this has been they established. remember this is established. Well, in that one that one time in that one episode, yes. I think the big question of the scene though is what do you guys think happened to Mark? To Mark Brooks, what was his accident? Oh boy. And is Mark Brooks someone that you know or No, no. Okay. This is this is play and, play and tell. Make him up's time. <laughs> Um, probably, uh, probably fell into a string fragment of some sort. (laughs) Probably. I just imagine he was like actually the janitor of the Enterprise and like somehow he got, you know how like in those deep sea rigs, they have those toilets that if you accidentally open like the top part of the ship, like your insides can get pulled out. I don't know about those, no. (laughs) Really? Tell us more. <laughs> like the vacuum is created, right, John? You'll bag me up. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did a little bit of math. His death would have occurred around the time of Hollow Pursuits, the Barclay episode. So I bet it was uh, an accident with that hand cart, that malfunctioning hand cart <laughs> that just like ran him over and like slowly crushed him into the wall. Mm, perfect. Shelly, if you had to guess how somebody died in space, what would you guess be? <laughs> Well, and that's another question that I had was like, are they always in danger? Yes. Yes. Nine out of 10 episodes. Is there ever an episode that's just kind of light? Like maybe they all have a picnic or there's a wedding or something. One or two a season. Yeah. There's something called a holodeck where they can create uh, an imagination. Like they, you know, just go nuts. And so sometimes like Picard wants to be a private detective or Uh, sometimes. uh, But those usually try to kill them too. But oftentimes the holodeck malfunctions and tries to kill the crew. Speaking of which, let's play the next sound clip. Well, it would do you good to have a little fresh holodeck air. I think my horsemanship is a little rusty for the Himalayas. Uh, Thanks anyway. Nonsense. We program an appropriately docile steed. Dublin. Appropriately <laughs> docile Steve. That is such a Picard burn. Yeah. Also, fresh holodeck air. <laughs> Marcy, I wrote down those exact two quotes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least show it so I can see Picard in his jodhpurs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shelly, what do you think about Worf? He's the man with the ridged head. What did, what did you think when you saw some of the alien beings? Um... Uh, and if it was intense arousal, you can tell us that. This is a safe space. <laughs> uh, I thought, wow, it's neat that all of these different types of people can work together. It's so diverse. Yeah. You got a little yeah. choked up there. Got a little choked up. That really touched you, the diversity <laughs> of the crew. Yeah. I, I, the guy with the ridged face, I didn't pay so much attention to him as I did with the guy with the, the glasses that... Reading Rainbow? Yes. Okay. I wondered if it was him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So what's the deal with that? (laughs) Apparently in the future, you can't fix blindness, but you can put a technological device over your eyes to give you predator vision. Yeah. Well, I feel like his type of blindness for some reason couldn't be cured. It wasn't congenital, but I think he got turned blind when he was like 
young, pretty young yeah. and like must I, I'm going to make up like it was an optical nerve completely like <laughs> destroyed because then you can't really see. John's got the answer, John. Yeah, there. I think there were like three different origins throughout. In one, he was born. In one, it was a fire. And I can't remember what the third one was. But Jordy, why do you keep lying about how you got blind? What, what are you hiding, Jordy uh, LaForge? It was, a, it was a space fire. I was in a space no. fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe he's actually not blind and he just wanted to have predator vision. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, but we see Alan B. here has officially seemed to have replaced Wesley. We saw her last episode, but she seems to be the new Wesley. I'll cover her IMDb now so that we never we don't have to do who it is, again. Who is she, Rob? This is Mary Conert. She's only in 11 things. Starting in 1986 in the magical world Disney, she plays Kathy Manley. She's in Highway to Heaven, Freddy's Nightmares, speaking of Freddy Krueger. She's in Mr. Baseball. She plays Player's Wife. That's a role with some some teeth. And then Star Trek Next Generation. Do you want to know how many episodes? No. No. Okay. But all I'll say is Alan be keeping an eye out for her. You should. (laughs) But not... Uh, a whole bunch. Um, I have a question about the bearded character. Riker. <laughs> Riker. Yes. Are they together, Deanna and Riker? That is a wonderful question. So I'm going to I'm gonna do my thing now, Cam. One little quick segment we're going to do throughout this episode is uh, we're going to pose, pose some therapy questions from the perspective of uh, Star Trek characters. And Marcy, I think you're, you're going to go first. I am, because Shelley was just asking about Riker. <clears throat> Hey, Shelly, what's up? I'm William T. Riker. I was raised in Valdez, Alaska by my father. My mother died when I was young, and my father basically abandoned me. When he was around, everything was a competition, and when he left me for good at 15 years old, I was glad to see him go. Starfleet became my family from that point forward. As you can probably tell, I'm pretty good with the ladies. My sex life is great, but my love life, not so much. I couldn't even make it work with my Imzadi, that soulmate in Betazoid. You probably know her, Deanna. She's the counselor here on the Enterprise. We're still friends with benefits, but I just can't seem to take that next step. The only other meaningful relationship I had was with a holographic woman on the holodeck named Minuet. I know it's pointless to love her, but I felt like the real Riker when we were together. Even my career isn't what I expected. I've been offered a captaincy two times already and haven't taken it. I just don't know how to move forward with life and love. What would be your suggestions for having more meaningful relationships with women and moving forward with my career? Wow, Riker, that was this is a that was very thorough. <laughs> um, you covered a lot, <laughs> a lot of material. What was the question? What was your what, was, what, what did you what did you ask? How can I move forward with life and love? I mean, I had a woman that was like my soulmate, and then it didn't work out. Mm. Riker, Riker, <laughs> yeah. You know, d- dating. This is kind of. I, you might be pathologizing a little too much here. Sometimes relationships <laughs> don't work out. Okay. Do you know what I mean? But it sounds like you're wondering, is am I doing this to myself? Mm-hmm. Like, does this, like, what happened to me when I was a teenager, when my dad left, is that, like, somehow setting up, setting me up so that I can't receive love? Yeah. Is that the concern? Yeah. I mean, I, the only, I mean, mom died so young, and then my dad was just such an asshole. Right. Like, I caught a fish, and he took the pole away from me and just started reeling it in. 
That was a traumatic event for you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're still thinking about it. Then, you know what he did? Tell me. When he came onto the Enterprise, he was like, still competing with me. I'm, I'm first officer, okay? I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I know you don't. And I'm going <laughs> to tell you. I'm going to recommend you read a book called Detached. Okay. And it's about uh, the three styles of adult attachment and relationships. You've got avoidant, secure, and anxious. Uh-huh. And I, I'm hearing some avoidant attachment styles. Okay. Which means that you only you, you, you will only get so close in an, in an adult romantic relationship. You kind of keep intimacy at arm's length for a variety yeah. of reasons. Yeah. But you kind of keep getting in this kind of same pattern where when someone gets close... Like at first, it's just like nothing but chemistry and it's amazing and it's awesome. But then when, you know, when you're falling in love, people, people, you know, draw nearer to each other. But for you, that's so uncomfortable that you start pulling back. Oh, my God, I'm getting chills right now. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you've looked into my soul and are reaching (laughs) exactly into who I am right now. Great job. I'm going to buy that book. And scene. Riker's a complicated guy. He might be coming back for some more therapy later. Oh man. <clears throat> oh my god, that was good. You you kick you figured him out so fast. <laughs> I mean, he's not that complicated, but <laughs> yeah. So he's a Lothario. He's uh, he's the charming, handsome co-captain. While we're opening up here, I do have to eat a large slice of humble pie and say that Marcy was right in a prior episode. There's a line here. Someone says, the ship is indicated. And I was like, oh, there's that weird use of indicated again. I'm going to look this up. And damn it, if Marcy wasn't right, that Worf, when he said caution is indicated, is... is A way to use the fucking word indicated? Yes, a second definition <laughs> of indicated is suggests as a desirable or necessary course of action. Oh. So we Way were all wrong, Marcy. and Marcy, <laughs> you were... Damn right. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> oh no. Marcy's gloating is indicated. We need to charge forward. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we're well, barely into this episode. We gotta come charging let's forward. Let's get going. Um I was worried for a second. Uh Deanna starts having headaches all of a sudden, and I was is this a mind rape episode? Is this one of those mind rape episodes I've been warned about? <laughs> Yeah, we'll Troy gets out. Troy gets abused. She's not a great female character at times. She's often abused. Shelley just uh-huh. this is one of those. She's often the f- victim of some terrible of tragedy. The writer's desire to titillate by doing weird things like having her get mind raped or actually having an alien child from like a another she gets race. alien raped. She does. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. Yeah. It's not good. Uh, the ship tries to leave, but instead crash straight into a space tree. <laughs> just they're like go he's like engage and they're like immediately just stop right, like they've crashed right. into something yeah it's because wesley wasn't there steering the ship this new that's ensign right. doesn't she's getting that's she got right. a permit wesley would never have flown into a swarm of two-dimensional beings or a space tree so i do love that they get called up to a, the briefing room and they have to talk about how the enterprise is stuck in a space tree and can't move <laughs> and i i do love that it is Riker who is the first one who recognizes something is wrong everyone else is like oh it's okay if you can't sense the alien beings but Riker, he knows his mzadi he knows wrong. this goes deeper so the space the enterprise is at this point skidding sideways yeah 
Yes. Which I thought maybe instead of a tree, maybe they got stuck on some space ice and they're just, mm. you know, those videos of Portland drivers when it, the streets get iced over, <laughs> maybe they're just stuck on, they need to put some space chains on and, <laughs> to help get out of this space ice. Or at least put space salt on space. Good call. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> on the space roads. <laughs> when Riker approaches her and like they're talking... Right. That's where I realized, like, oh, I think there's something going on between the two of them. But then he, like, touches her clavicle in a weird way. Oh, at that later scene? Yeah. That was weird. I mean, I think if we saw these characters be intimate more often, it wouldn't have been so weird. Because, like, I, I, I touch my wife like that careful, when I'm comforting careful. her. <laughs> but, yeah, like, we just, we mostly see these two characters in very professional settings, except, like... Once every five episodes, they may kiss, so... Or just make eyes. Because if he's her higher up, and he touched her that way, that's an HR report right there. Yeah, in space, HR is... HR is a totally different department in in space. (laughs) I think with Troy, we can assume that they filled out the appropriate forms. (laughs) Yeah, but that's the funny thing, is, like, they're they're a will-they-won't-they couple, right? So... Either they are on again, off again, or they have an open relationship. And I'd like to think they just have an open relationship. They are together when it's convenient, but they will also go and bone some aliens when they want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're just friends with benefits. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, I think that's what the writers were doing, even though they couldn't explicitly say it in the early 90s. <laughs> um, so Troy realizes she has lost her empathic powers. She goes and sees Crusher in her office with Riker. And this is the first scene where I went, oh, oh, we're going to go through the five stages of grief. I see what the script is going to be. Deanna, it's no different than one of us suddenly going blind. You don't have to tell me, Beverly. I understand the psychology. You may understand it, but you've never had to live with it. I may be perfectly fine tomorrow. Denial. This is kind of an interesting give and take between Crusher and Deanna. Like, they both seem like they're kind of being condescending to each other. I mean, Crusher's definitely got that, oh, I've got to be the empathic voice right now, very calm. And Deanna's obviously like, I'll be fine. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think Crusher sees that someone who she really respects and really looks up to and can usually talk to as a peer is behaving very irrationally. And she doesn't entirely know how to approach that. Understandably so. I had to remember the five stages of grief. I didn't really follow that, uh, Cameron. I'm glad you did. Well, and with that line, I definitely expected like there to be some Jordy and Deanna moment because he's blind and she meant to be blind. She sure does. And I was like, oh, when are they going to, like, do the weird thing where Jordy has to go talk to Deanna about ha- not having a sense? Never That's, happens. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Marcy. Yeah, so I, I totally get the impulse of the writers to be like, well, let's do a grief episode. Let's do a loss episode, a trauma episode. Let's have our alien lose her alien powers. Except it's just so hard for us to relate to that, <laughs> Like, she is losing a superpower, basically, that no one else on the ship has. And yes, I'm sure for her that's difficult, but it's hard for the rest of the crew and us as the audience to really empathize. Especially since I feel there's really only one scene where they try to put us in her shoes with that. I think that they, you know, there's a lot of of experiences that I don't understand. I think the point was... What are some experiences that you will never understand? The you know, mm-hmm. I think we all can, can relate to 
to that aspect. Um, sure, we can relate to the to the uh, realization that we can't relate to somebody because well, of I mean, it's basically loss in the sense it's like a having a disability. It's a it's an episode about being a person with some a sudden disability and right. having to come to terms with it and losing some portion. Like for most people, it's like a portion of independence that you had before and don't now. Um, hers is just like. Basically, like Riker says, having an advantage over everyone else of yeah. being able to feel what other people feel. But it is hard to watch her go through those those feelings. And maybe that's the point. Like, it's like it's hard to watch people lose something and have to struggle with all of the different emotions and feelings that they're going through. So, again, revisiting my first point that the people that wrote this character had never visited a therapist. So she, so she loses her ability to like feel what other people feel, right? Yeah. This is actually one one thing I wrote down. I said, "Bitch needs to learn how to listen." <laughs> <laughs> That's what empathy is. Like, yeah, she lost the ability to just know what someone feels without them telling her, but she need she could listen to them, and they would tell her how they felt. Which becomes the lesson that she learns. But does she does she learn that? Oh, I just need to listen to people. Did she learn that? She learned that her human instincts are uh, more honed. She's become reliant on her beta Z on her. Oh, like, Shelley, we will reach acceptance. Don't you worry. We're going to hit every <laughs> stage. And I like that you picked up on that because this is something that's uh, getting better with Deanna's character over time. But from the very beginning, like she would literally be like. Oh, you're feeling like this. Like, just yell it out. Like, during <laughs> the episode right. to people. And you'd be like, bitch, maybe that person <laughs> doesn't want everybody to know that they're feeling upset right now. Like, thanks for calling them out in front of everyone. Right. And then, like, I'm sure you picked up when she went into the Captain Picard's office and was like, let me tell you all about my patient's life that she's been telling me in confidence <laughs> and how it relates to my pain. So right. that you can understand that I can't be a counselor. It's like, damn right, you can't. You just broke all the HIPAA rules. Again. I didn't even catch that, Marcy. So good. Yes. Space so HIPAA good. is different oh, than regular HIPAA. Space HIPAA. Space HIPAA oh, yeah. is we, different. We have multiple times seen not just Deanna, but the, all the medical stuff, too. It's like, yeah, oh, like, yeah, they've got this and this and that. And it's like, wow. Yeah, like, thanks for telling him I've got, like, itchy space balls pressure. <laughs> you know, like, come on. And, like, I just love when she walks in and Picard, like, grabs his head and just, like, does this, like, thing where he's like, oh, God, I'm going to have to deal with, like, her quitting. Well, I I felt bad for Picard this episode because any other episode with any other character, Picard would be going to Troy to figure out how to deal with that crew person. Because Picard is not great with people emotionally. So he, Troy is usually his crutch. And now his crutch is the problem and he's got nothing. Yeah. Riker comes to, uh, he knows, again, he knows that she's in denial, that things are worse than they appear, so he goes and tries to help. You know what the worst part of this is? And I've seen it happen to so many patients. What? Here comes anger. The way other people (laughs) change. How they start to treat you differently. (laughs) They walk on eggshells around you. Sometimes they avoid you altogether. Sometimes they become overbearing, reach out a helping hand to the blind woman. I'm sorry if I... I will not be treated that way. Hey. I'm sorry. Oh, please. (laughs) He pulled out the I word. 
Oh, man. Yeah, around, well, it was more later when she gets really upset with Crusher that I was just like, oh, I hope this is a Mind Rape episode, because I don't want this to be Deanna. I don't want this to be how Deanna reacts to to loss and trauma. Like, well, that's a pretty big loss to have something that you live with for whatever thirty some years, and but she doesn't within know how to twenty four hours to just be like screaming at your best friends who are trying to help you. I don't know. She's a counselor. She should be better at this because she's going through that five stages, like you pointed out. She's got to. She's got to do <laughs> uh, it. In fast forward because well, this is literally the next scene. Got me wanting to like defend her, even though I kind of agree with some of the things <laughs> that you're saying because like. I deal with lots of things at work, but at home, when you're dealing with your own personal things, it's harder to manage them because you spend a lot of time being empathetic with your patients, with other people. Like if you're a caregiving person, you care for your friends, you help them with their problems. So when you go and you have something big happen to you, first of all, you like I'm speaking from my own personal experience of just like. It is hard for you to reach out for help from other people because you're used to being the one to help others. And so, like, that's just what that, like, fight back is, is kind of just like, I don't need your help. I don't like that she's like, I'm a blind woman. Like, literally, you're not blind, Deanna. So stop comparing. Com- why are you? Why do you keep comparing yourself to Jordy? Jordy would be highly offended, I think, right. if he kept hearing you say that. But, like, she has lost a part of herself that you can't understand, but you should be able to empathize with the feeling of losing something that was part of your culture. It's part of her Beta Z culture. Riker's not wrong when he says, hey, you know, you've always upheld your Beta Zoid lifestyle as more important than your human. And suddenly you're having to deal with what other humans have to deal with. So fucking buck up, you know? Yeah. I forgive her. You're not wrong. It's just she goes so broad. And again, like she should have the awareness that she is complaining about losing something that no one else around her has. Well, then she needs to call her mom. She should. Okay. (laughs) So here is where I suffered loss with this episode is we get (laughs) Jordy and Data. (gasps) Yes. Where's the rest of the nerd squad? Nerd squad is broken up. <laughs> it's just not the same without Wesley. They're helping yeah. them figure out what these two dimensional beings are. That was Aww. sad. So I, I love that they're looking at this this diagram. They sent out a probe so they could see the Enterprise. They're trying to figure out. They're trying to find the tree that they hit. And and all of a sudden they do like a scan and there's a bunch of what I assumed were stars and they go look at that and I'm like what. What are we looking at? It looks like stars. It doesn't look like anything to me. But I think the writers knew because... Last time I saw anything that looked like that, I was skin diving off the coral reefs at Brinkus 5. What does that... What? Well, that fucking what does it look like? Is he saying it looks like the waves of an ocean? It did look like a like an ocean. Oh, I thought he must have meant like plankton or something. Yeah, or like <laughs> jellyfish. I was yeah. like, jellyfish? I think it was the waves. I, looking at it closer, Jordan, I thought you have it was... never been skin diving off the coral also, reefs of Baraka Five. You're blind. At best, that was a holodeck program. <laughs> Maybe that's Good how he went blind. Was the plankton in the ocean? <laughs> that's what he meant. His yeah, his visor was like short circuiting, and yeah. that's what he saw. So it's literally <laughs> the last thing he ever saw. <laughs> oh shit! Oh. <laughs> that makes that line suddenly so much more tragic. Yeah. Then we have a little more Troy and Ensign Brooks, yes? Mm-hmm, yep, oh, her yeah. second. So, Shelly, she, I have a question based on this. If I also cry for two hours, will that fix me? <laughs> it depends on what you're crying about. Because it fixed her. 
she said, yeah. I cried for two hours, all better now. I mean, she really, that that woman really wanted to not be sad anymore, right? That's like true. she was really trying to not be sad. And Deanna's like, I don't think that that can happen. that you've been in denial for two months or whatever i don't think that two hours of crying and when she said that i was like okay there we go like there's some there's some good information like she might not she might i I maybe would have presented it a little bit better i would have been more curious like (laughs) oh so you know you've been in denial for two months you kind of realize that and you've had two hours of crying and you feel like that was it that's all you needed to do well, let's hope that was good information because that is like what the emotional resolution of this episode hinges on is the fact that she finds out she was right when she said that. I do love Janet's response, though. No, you're wrong. I feel better today than I have in ages. You're absolutely wrong, Deanna. Wow. Wow. Read the fucking room, Janet. <laughs> do you think that she's upset because um, she wants a discount because she doesn't because Troy doesn't, her counselor doesn't have her power? She's like, why am I paying full price for this session? I want fifty percent space bucks off of this. <laughs> That's right. So Shelley, that was a question that I have for you because you know there's times as a professional when you're not exactly sure about a certain situation. You might do some research or whatever, but you don't go in and be like, by the way, I'm not competent. <laughs> so just saying. I can't do my job well. Right. So just just a heads up, but let's keep talking. <laughs> I mean. So on the Enterprise, how many people are on there? A thousand, a little over a thousand. There's a lot of families that we don't ever see. Because the sense I got was just like, everybody's just in everybody's business. Yeah. Oh, the scuttlebutt is a muck on this ship. <laughs> Like, nobody's surprised that Deanna has lost her powers because everybody's already heard about it. I don't yeah. I don't think that that's abnormal. I mean, think if you've got 5,000 people on an aircraft carrier today, the scuttlebutt is the same thing. Yeah. And, like, that does not seem weird to me. I worked used to work in a very remote place with a small group of people. Like, yeah, the rumor mill when you're in the middle of nowhere is all you got. Yeah, I mean, I think there is a level of familiarity that, like, you don't have with just, like, a rando off the street that's coming in to do therapy. Although she does talk about how people are treating her differently. I'm like, what people? Like, this just happened. Like, who's well, looking at you like you're blind? She, she says she knows that's going to happen. She says she's seen that It hasn't even happened to her yet, and she's angry about it? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly my point, Marcy. Exactly. I also love that, like... Deanna, again, is on fast forward through her stages of grief, and poor Janet is just stuck in denial for the entire episode. <laughs> but this was, like, becoming clear that the two, um, you know, that there was a lot, I liked the way the script tied a lot of things together. The A plot, the B plot, and I guess Janet's a C plot. So sure. the A plot's really tying to the C plot in a way. It's, like, starting to make sense to me. Yeah, and there's a great uh, scene with her and Riker later where she talks about how, like, she... Basically, she's like talking about how everything around her seems two dimensional, and it's like, oh, this is great. That's tying into the two dimensional beings outside. Mm-hmm. And then, just to make sure we got it, they have her say that explicitly in one of the final right. scenes. I was like, okay, now we're getting a little yeah on the nose. I wrote down that quote from early. We'll <laughs> yeah. Running too shortly. Um, they do begin to look at. They discover that if they ro- rotate the probe picture of the Enterprise, that's how they discover the three D beings are two D. It turns out that we're dealing with a sentient magic eye poster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You can only see these beings if you crawl, if you, if you, <laughs> if you like let your eyes kind of cross. 
and then it becomes a sailboat or whatever. Yeah. It's a schooner. Uh, schooner is a sailboat. Yeah, I kind of just like you, Shelly. I just kind of never really listened to the science gobbledygook. But I like the scene where they're all together and then Deanna has the little, like, accusatory moment. It's a shame we can't tell if they're sentient. What do you mean by that? <laughs> I'm doing the best that I can. No one suggested otherwise, Counselor. But I guess this is my problem. It's fine that Deanna is going through these emotions. But the fact that she can't contain herself during a very high-level meeting... And, th- and then she goes and screams at Crusher right after that. Like, th- that's what bothers me with her in this episode. See, like, she what, can't contain herself. What that tells me is that it, I think of it the other way around. She can't keep her composure, which means this is a huge deal. You think that it's something happens and she can't hold on to it. But the fact that she acts like this, I'm like, oh, shit. Like, this is major. Like, this is totally out of character for her, which means, like, something is terribly, terribly wrong. Also, yeah, I feel like later Deanna episodes... She has issues with self-worth, like not recognizing, feeling like they recognize her as a valuable part of the crew mm. because she, she, it does technically have a rank, but she's takes her like right. up until season six, five, five to, uh, actually start wearing a uniform. A you know, pit. they've always kind of set her apart and not treated her with the same level of respect maybe that she thought she deserved so i mean this could be the episode that really shows us that part of herself where she just feels like i'm a human lie detector test and that's all you care about me as you know maybe yeah let's barrel forward did we get what is the troy picard scene is that also anger in your book i think this scene with jordy was anger but we are we're barreling into crusher if our positions were reversed what would you tell me if our positions were reversed I wouldn't have been in here treating skinned elbows while you were lying passed out on your office floor. I'd have been there a lot sooner, perhaps in time, to prevent this from ever happening. I mean, this one definitely feels like anger. This is where she's screaming at Deanna. Um, And I'm going to act like a know-it-all when there's an actual counselor here who probably knows it. But I I did do some research on the five stages of grief. And yeah, I I was looking for bargaining. I didn't see like her bargaining to get her powers back. But I guess, uh, is it if only phrases are also bargaining when she tells Crusher, if only you had come and helped me, then this wouldn't have happened. That's part of the bargaining stage of grief. Is that right, Shelley? Do I have that close enough? Sure. (laughs) 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 Yeah. That's what Google told me. That's what Dr. Google told me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, when she says that she's, she's trying to look for a reason for why, why this is happening, right? Like she's trying to like, she's grasping for control, right? Who's responsible and you need to take responsibility for this. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this Crusher and Deanna scene is the most uncomfortable scene I've had to witness in Star Trek because we've never seen them fight before. They've always built each other up. And this scene where they fight, and then even at the end, the apology still doesn't feel like it's fixed. Like, Crusher kind of goes, okay, I'll see you later. But Deanna's still like, I was so mean to her. Like, it's pretty awkward. Yeah, they're friends, and I hate to see them fight. (laughs) So is this when we go, she goes to resign with Picard? Is that where we're at? Correct. And And he says, he starts talking about blind people and how their senses improve. And she says, no, they don't. And I said, what is that? I thought <laughs> I've always thought that when you lose one sense, like that's all you ever hear is it, which is true. Anybody? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I always thought that too, and I wasn't buying anything Troy was saying this episode, so I'm still going to believe it until I hear otherwise. <sighs> I don't know. I don't think it's that your senses are any different. I think it's just now you only have those senses, so you pay attention to things differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell that to Daredevil, that's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> With all due respect, Captain, you don't know what you're talking about. That is a common belief with no scientific basis. No doubt created by normal people normal. who normal. felt uncomfortable around the disabled. She's literally calling herself disabled. I am disabled. And I'm telling you, I cannot perform my duties. With all due respect, Captain, go fuck yourself. <laughs> this is the tone. Well, I gotta say, I kind of love how she says it and that she holds her ground. Because Picard is, like, good at negotiating. Mm-hmm. And he will negotiate the shit out of you until you do what you want. And she knows that, so she just, like, puts her foot down hard. That's true. And I feel like with any other crew member, Picard would have had a retort, and he is yeah. left stunned. One thing, if Deanna came and saw me as a counselor. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, I'm going to quit my job because I lost this thing. I lost the sense. You know, I never give advice when I'm when I'm counseling someone. I don't ever give advice. You have to come up with your own stuff. I will help you get there. But I would question, like, do you want to make this decision so quickly right now? Like, this is this just happened. That's fair. Oh, my God. I'm I'm putting you in a blue uniform right now. (laughs) You do the guided maneuver. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) But no, like, seriously, like, now I'm like, Shelly's going to be my new, like, character in Instant Marcy. Like, (laughs) Counselor Shelly is going to become part of, like, I mean, because that's so perfect. So Riker uh, makes attempt number two to come talk to Deanna. And this is straight up depression when she breaks down and starts crying in his arms. Uh, And I guess here is where uh, Riker will come visit uh, Dr. Shelly again. Because Cameron messed up and accidentally also did a Riker <laughs> bit, but I but I'm, I'm going to focus on something different. I mean, I do I do want to bring up my father again. I mean, I told you a lot about my father last time, and and you know how even as adults, the only way we can really communicate is through like full contact space sports. Uh, I I don't know if you follow the Ambo Jitsu leagues. I don't. I'm pretty good, pretty good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so just keeping in mind everything I've told you about my father, I. I I'm bringing this all up again because I've recently adopted a Party City alien that made me believe he was my future son for about a day. And I – was that a rash decision? Am I ready for that sort of commitment to be to be a father to someone else? Who happens to look like an alien from, from Party City. Yeah, I mean, am I able to raise a grayling with light-up eyes even though my own father was not there for me? Um. I'm going to give you the most counselor answer you've ever heard in your life. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Only you can decide that. <sighs> Luckily, I already made the decision, so I guess I just got to go with it. <laughs> got to commit. Lean into it. If you're wondering if you're going to repeat what your dad did mm. to you, there there is a high likelihood. Unless you Unless you take care of it. Unless you get rid of it. I do have a tendency to take the trombone away from him and show him how to play it, even though he already knows how to play it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing some some mirroring happening here. Everybody has their stuff, Riker. I got stuff. I got Everybody stuff. Everybody has their stuff. No one's going to be ready, perfect, ready to be a parent. 
You gotta have, but you gotta have your stuff right in front of you. You gotta, you gotta be ahead of your stuff. Follow up question: Should I get rid of all of my heart porn or only some of it? All of your what porn? It's a deep cut. Don't it's, worry it's, about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I really enjoy videos of of attractive women playing the harp. Mm, mm-hmm. Is this is that holding me back? You know, again, that's gonna that's gonna be a decision that you have to make. <laughs> Is it getting in the way of relationships? I'm keeping it all. I'm keeping it all. That's, that's an easy one. That's an easy one. Thanks. All right. So back to uh, Riker and Deanna. How'd you feel about the hugs? I thought it was kind of sweet, right? That he hugs all his... And then his little yeah. speech about hugging all the personnel and hugging Worf. And that was a good moment. I kind of like that. He does hug all his all his problems away. That's kind of what his whole, whole shtick is. Yeah. And this, is, this was the scene I did like in that. Like, it really did try to make us understand what Deanna was going through. When she starts talking about what it feels like to not have her empathy, uh, I, I did appreciate this and wish they had done more of that in this episode. All she sees are surfaces without depth, as if 3D has become 2D. Mm-hmm. What? Oh. Tying together. That's right. Um, and then, so how do you guys feel about what what Riker does in this scene? Hard truth? I mean, it worked. Like, she Where appreciates it. Where he makes it all it. about him again? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I 100% agree with everything he said, but again, read the room? Maybe not the time to lay that on her? I think she needed the tough love, maybe. I don't know. but She says she does at the end. Well, also, I feel like dudes are about fixing people. So, yeah. like, when they go to help, it's never like, I'm just going to listen. It's like... Great. So, what can we do to fix this? Like, what can I do? Like, maybe you should stop like being so betazoid and try to be more human. Well, Marcy, you're straight up human now. Some of us have learned to fight that urge to fix and <laughs> learn that that only makes our loved one not happy, and then we learn rage even more. We pretend to, well, we listen, even though we're thinking of fixes the whole time. <laughs> That's why. You just say calm down, right? Oh, right. Maybe a slap yeah. or two. Not no more than three. Oh, oh my god! This is not a 70s film camera. Uh, the ship still can't break free, and the ship shakes a whole lot. Shaky ship, shaky ship. And then ten forward with Guinan. We've got the Whippy Goldberg. There's that hat. And at first, I thought Guinan was being. I, she tricked me when she said she wants to become the counselor. And that she, I thought maybe she should be like, hey, let's trade jobs. Let's that, that's a whole other, that's a spinoff series. You become the bartender. <laughs> I'll counsel everything. Uh, mm-hmm. It'll just, yeah. But I like that it turned, took a turn. You're right. I, I think a lot of TV acting would have uh, telegraphed that she was not being sincere. But yeah, she played it straight. I like that. Mm-hmm. It's more than just letting them cry on your shoulder, it takes an enormous commitment. I can do that. Kynan, people come to talk to you about things they want to reveal. As ship's counselor, you have to get them to talk about things they don't want to reveal. I could do that too. What are you... You don't really want to be ship's counselor. What would make you say that? I just know you're not serious. Have I given you any indication that I might not be serious? Not really, but... Then how do you know? Are your empathic abilities coming back? No. I suppose it's just instinctive. Guinan reminds us that counseling is questions. It's all 
questions and listening. <laughs> right? I felt like she was being a little belittling. Who, Guinan? No. Um, oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Guinan gets through her, to her the most out of anyone, I feel like. Like, Guinan does an excellent job of being a counselor here while Troy is telling her she wouldn't make a good counselor. Yeah, Troy. Right. Yeah. And like, oh, people don't just want to cry on your shoulder. I'm like, bitch, people go, people, if they're revealing themselves to their bartender, that's a good bartender, right? Yeah. I mean, she is doing what Deanna should be doing, which is listening to Deanna. Yes. Reflecting back to her. And, you know, that's something that you're supposed to do a lot, which is, is this what you're telling me? You tell them back what they're saying to you, and then they're able to kind of reprocess it, right? But mm-hmm. all Deanna does throughout the whole episode is just, like, talk about herself and doesn't listen to anything that anybody is trying to tell her, which people become selfish and self-absorbed when they're in these things. But, yeah, she's very condescending and, like... I think she knows that Guinan would make a better counselor. We've been talking She's about this for a long time. That's the thing, yeah. yeah. She is afraid she'll take her job. It seems a little weird that there's 25% human DNA sitting at that table, and they're using the term human intuition. Mm. Hmm. Because I think that is something that, that they've talked about a lot, that humans don't have a lot going for them, but they have that instinct and that intuition like, and that's part of what humans are. They like to fuck and they have human intuition. That's what they got, okay? But again, Marcy, you were saying all intuition is is just lived experience. Are we saying all these other aliens can't draw no. from their lived experiences? It's the ability I to think... interpret that lived experience yeah. in the correct way, Cameron. Okay. It's the brain power well, to interpret. And that's literally what Guinan's race is known as are the listeners. Like that. That's what they do. They live a long time and they listen. So. If Troy had just said, like, yes, but your clientele are all drunk, that would have been that would have been the way. I mean, yeah, they're they're opening up to you because they're uh, you're drinking synthahol. Shelly, do you refer to your patients as bitch as often as <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering if <laughs> I should expect that. <laughs> no, but when she's directing a when she's directing a show, she refers to all the actors. <laughs> so that happens. Not out loud. It's implied. It's implied when she talks to me that that's what she. <laughs> uh, so suddenly, the writers remembered that this episode needed some stakes, and right. they introduced the cosmic vagina. Right, seven hours away from the string fragment. It is always funny to me when the um, race against time in these episodes turns into slowly drifting sideways into a into a glowy thing. I do. I I love Picard a lot in this episode. He doesn't have a lot of moments, but they're all so fun. When he's like, you know, when we get out of here, let's let's put off our mission and like just study these guys some more. Let's do that. Like it's all very Picard, all of his little asides. So we better. So Shelley, the answer to a lot of these questions in this show is to fire torpedoes at things. At least when you ask Worf, and oh, is he so glad that he gets to finally? I guess I could ask my Worf question for Shelley. Oh. Uh, um, uh, I'm from. Hi, hi, Shelley. I'm from. I'm from a warrior race, and I recently sent. You sound my, exactly like Worf too. Yeah, I'm gonna, I, I didn't want to do it in character. It's felt, no, I don't want to do Klingon face. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm from a warrior race, and I recently sent my son to live with my parents when his mother was brutally murdered after my father was framed for betraying our empire. Uh, should I try to keep him? Is it is it possible to juggle family with a career all while trying to clear my family name? You know, I feel like there's some important cultural pieces to this. Yeah. 
That's true. The wharf culture is that is that typical that you send your children to live? Well, I grew up after my parents were slaughtered. Uh, I grew up with this human family, and so and who I am now sending my son to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Worf, let's be honest. You sent him away because you feel shamed at your family's legacy. Oh, mm. right. The family, but the family has been framed. But I don't want my son to grow up under this shadow of the tr- my my father, who's been framed as a traitor. Boy, this is mm-hmm. getting complicated. <laughs> uh, Worf, is it? Yes. <laughs> what would, if you didn't have to worry about the shame? What would you do? I would raise the son to be strong. I would, uh, I would raise him to to um, re- to get vengeance on the. Well, I already got vengeance on the person that killed his mother, uh, stabbed him right in the heart. Um, <laughs> but I would raise him to be strong so that he couldn't be, so that he could protect the, the people he loves. Uh-huh. So you would, you would have, you would bring him back and have him live with you. Yes, but I, th- I think it would be hard to, to juggle working the enterprise and this dangerous position that I'm in as security chief or uh is he still security chief? Am I still security yeah, yes. chief? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Head of tactical. But I guess other people have done it. I think there are plenty of people in high positions on this on the ship that can also manage to raise their son with the Klingon uh What do you think what do you think your son would want? If you asked him what do you think your son would want? Uh it's hard to say. He's uh, he's still pretty young. It's hard to say, especially considering that we uh, I've only known him for ten minutes. Um, it's it's difficult. My concern is that what would what lessons do you think he's learning from not from his dad sending him to live with someone else? Hmm. What do you think he's learning about your relationship? I hope he's learning since he is being raised by the same people that raised me, I'm hoping mm-hmm. that he is learning the same lessons that I am and, and being cared for full time by somebody who's able to, and also that he doesn't have to deal with that whole uh, family of traitors thing. Have you heard of Brene Brown? No. She's a shame researcher. Oh my God. Wow. And she talks about how, uh, what shame does and how to, how to get rid of shame because shame, Shame serves no purpose other than to protect you from from and often protect you from things that don't exist. Hmm. Well, I have a lot to, to contemplate. I thank you so much. I, I think our time is up. <laughs> oh my god! I'd like you to come back next week. I'm gonna make. Would, I'm gonna have my secretary call you. I'll do it. I am in love with Shelley. I think this is the best episode we've ever done. I mean, I'm I'm believing it. Like while he's talking, I'm like that is Worf right now that she's counseling and she's absolutely right about everything that she's saying. Like, and also, let's not forget how much I was channeling the character. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I can think of two more episodes we need Shelley on at least. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she's be like, gosh, I could get paid for this. <laughs> so Worf fires torpedoes. That's the, always does. the answer. Let's fire torpedoes. I think maybe they could have solved Troy's problems by firing torpedoes at her. <laughs> Just blow it up. There is a, a fantastic shot I do love uh, when they, they decided firing torpedoes in front of the two-dimensional alien beings wasn't going to work. So they're going to fire at the beings. Worf gets a hard on. He fires them. <laughs> The shot stays on Picard the whole time. You only see like the light up on his face of the explosion of the torpedoes. I, I think that's a great cinematic shot. And then it's just a marvelous piece of acting on Picard because, you know, he wanted it to work because he doesn't want his thousands of crew members to die. But he also didn't want it to work because Picard does not like killing 
unknown species. So it, it was just it was a great little uh, moment on his face. I thought of like yeah. bittersweetness at it not working. He's had in the past had to protect, like try to find ways around killing beings to save their own butts. It's hard. Right. That's a tricky touch. Uh, and then uh, oh geez, Instant Brooks has just had a roller coaster of three days here. Yeah, man. Janet's back. Yeah, damn it, Janet. <laughs> um, but now this scene, the patient has become the doctor. Oh, she's, she's helps Troy. Uh, and then Janet strikes down Troy and Troy just becomes a pile of robes. Is that what happens? Uh, or they, she cuts off her head and there can be only one. Maybe it's a Highlander situation. I don't know. <laughs> that follows. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I was kind of wrong earlier. There's not a, a big acceptance scene, but I think this is the beginning of Troy learning to accept that she does have human, intuition and that she is able to use it uh, which follows into the next scene where picard instructs her that her and data have to work together even though she can't sense these beings as the psychologist she is best suited to try to determine their psychology and uh, i do love the scene between her and data like marcy you were absolutely right there should have been a scene between jordy and troy that would have made a lot of sense but also while i was watching i was like Oh, of course, Data's the one to help her out with this. He is the one who is completely unaffected by emotion and can really walk her through the most uh, logical uh, resolution. What do you think about Data, Shelley, and what do you think his deal is? So is so Data, is he kind of like the Spock? Yes, absolutely. Bit, yeah. Okay. He is a, an android. So he has no emotion. He's just like all information. He says he doesn't, but... He's an android, with a very advanced brain. And yeah. then he yeah. has all these <laughs> neurons that fire that seem like he's had emotion. He's like, well, I'm not, I don't love this person. I'm just, you know, like I'm fond because of their familiarity or, you know, like there's all these, yeah. there's a, that's a theme in a lot of episodes. It does seem like in this scene where she comes to figure out that this other spaceship. <laughs> like wanting to go to the, the cosmic of- vagina. Yeah, the cosmic vagina. <laughs> like they are trying to get there. Yes. And he, he's like you know, we all are. Yeah. <laughs> makes oh sense that gosh. he's the one that helps her get there because, because he's not trying to solve anything for her or he's not trying to convince her that she is okay. Yeah. He's just kind of like, let's just do this. <laughs> right? And he, by doing that, just working with her on the problem. The last time we saw them together, I feel like so closely was when he created Lol, right? And mm. it was all about emotion. And everyone else does kind of treat her like this, like, lie detector test or whatever, you know? Like, mm-hmm. but he's never done that. He's used her for her ability to just, like, understand emotion in people, you know? acceptance acceptance yes (laughs) do you think picard knew what he was doing in this situation like he's like you know what she doesn't think she can uh counsel ensign brooks so i will make her counsel a (laughs) two-dimensional uh being made of a plankton like that'll i mean maybe he did like it, it did work like i'll team her up with data and she'll take on this tremendous counseling task uh, which I think is funny because, like in Armageddon, they're like, we gotta find, you know, they hire the best drillers to destroy a meteor, and in this case, like we gotta find the best counselor to counsel the hell out of this <laughs> this, this magic guy poster. He loves Deanna, like he oh, always yeah. brings her everywhere with him. It's like, 
oh, I gotta go onto this planet for diplomacy. Deanna, you gotta come with me. Like, oh, I'm gonna go talk to this guy. You better come with me, Deanna. Like, because she's a lie detector, a human lie detector. That's <laughs> yeah. all he cares about. <laughs> So A and B plot come crashing together. She realizes that she's two-dimensional as well, that she's lost her third sense, mm-hmm. uh, her third dimension in this case, and uh, and realizes that like moths to a flame. She's like, we got to think two-dimensionally. And, uh, That's right. I liked this tie-in. I liked it all. I think the funniest part of the episode that was coming up, <laughs> where all of a sudden the entire bridge starts shaking violently and Worf goes... We're now feeling the effects of the cosmic string. <laughs> Thanks, Worf. Thanks. We didn't all just feel the bridge suddenly start shaking violently. By the way, everybody, that's from that cosmic vagina. <laughs> the, the giant vajayjay out the window. Do you guys want to know what I would have done in this situation? Absolutely, Rob. Uh, so what I would do is use the ship's parabolal dish... <laughs> parabolic dish to uh, amplify and reflect those frequencies back at the cluster. It's uh, like that's a good idea, Rob. Obvious. But you have to make sure you do it loud enough. I do love Picard's line here. Turn it up to eleven. The cluster is not yeah. affected. Same course, same speed. Let's try turning up the volume. <laughs> I thought it was very bold for Picard to make a technotronic reference here, but you know, I mean, they are always making modern day references. So. Instead of you know, from now on, Cameron. Uh, from now on, instead of engage, he says, pump it up. <laughs> so, pump up the jam. Pump if up only. the jam. That's good. I like pump that. Pump up the jam. Good sound. <laughs> pump it. Pump it up. And uh, they fix it. Deanna's fixed. Everything's fixed. Uh, ten forward. Uh, ten forward, yeah. Yep, we got this little conversation. Now, is that counselor position still open aboard ship? Yeah. It's been taken. I just thought I'd ask. Better hours. Freeze frame. Ha ha ha. But now they got a better freeze frame line later about the aristocratic. Oh, that's right. There's more jokes. I forgot. There's a hat on a hat. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Should we rate this episode? I think so. Shelly, you can rate it on whatever scale you see fit. We do a 1 to 10. Uh, this time we're going to do a 1 to 10. I, what do you think? Magic eye posters? 1 to 10 no, we should stages do the, of grief? Yes, exactly. 1 to 10 <laughs> stages of grief. So you give your number and then you tell us what that stage is. <laughs> I, I think I might have enjoyed this episode. I don't usually like the soapy ones that much, uh, but I really liked the way it all tied together. I, didn't, I also didn't like seeing Deanna react the way she did, but I... I chalked it up to it being the way she she handled it, the way she handled it. Um, so I'm going to go. Boy, I'm afraid I'm going to go too high because I don't think you guys liked it. Uh, <laughs> but I I like the way it went. I want to give it uh, eight stages of grief. Wow. Oh. And um, that stage is uh, uh, hunger. <laughs> <laughs> Hungry for more? Yeah. As the per the huge, I really liked all the Deanna stuff. Like, I thought that through line was good. I was super bored by the two-dimensional beings. So, like, all that stuff, I was just like, boring, boring, boring. Okay, Deanna's, like, angry. That's good. At least it's, like, exciting. So, I think I'm going to give it a 6.5 stages of grief. And mm-hmm. mine is condescension. You're midway through the condescension stage. Yeah. <laughs> I'm polar opposite of Marcy. Like I, I did not 
care for much of the Deanna stuff, but I, I wanted more of the two-dimensional beings. I was like, oh, this is fascinating. Two-dimensional <laughs> beings in a three-dimensional world and all of Picard's like nerdy little like, ooh, let's study him. I wanted more of that. And the team uh, figured it out. It was fun watching the team all work Yeah, together. yeah. Even without Wesley, it was it was painful to see hit the nerd squad be down one member. But our discussion made me appreciate it a lot more. Uh, and I realized maybe I was being too rough on Deanna. But I'm still going to stick it. I, I don't know if I'd want to watch it again, really. So I'm going to have to say a four. And it's, uh, it's, it's sloth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, this, since this was like my first real Star Trek, at least Next Generation episode, for sure. Uh, didn't agree with, you know, all of the writing choices, but that's fine. But it, I felt like it gave me a good overview of, of what the Next Generation is about. And so I'm going to give it um, the ninth stage of grief, which is total ecstasy. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Shelly, what can we do to support the Siren Theater right now in these trying times? You know, um, if you want to go online and buy a t-shirt, that'd be great. I know a guy that prints those and ships them out. Yes, and also supports another (laughs) local business. Just go to sirentheater.com and we might have another show. We just did the um, Blair Witch parody, which was super fun. And we might do a Christmas show. We'll see. Everything's virtual and virtual is different than live. True. So we should announce that uh, Green Shirt is taking a bit of a mid-season hiatus here uh, just for the holidays for about a month and a half. I believe it's the 21st. Our, uh, the next episode should land January 21st. But in the meantime, you can still follow us on the social medias. We've got facebook.com slash greenshirt at greenshirt87. I'll try to keep the Twitter active with lots of uh, fun bits and pieces. Is that what they call them on Twitter? Bits mm-hmm. and pieces? <laughs> I think so. And uh, as always, iTunes, it's the holidays. All I want for Christmas is a five-star review. Come on. Give it to us, all all five stages. Fifth stage acceptance. Brief. Leave it all in iTunes. Except stage is iTunes reviews. That's right. Marcy, where are we at on and then Instagram? You can also go to uh, at Green Shirt Podcast on Instagram. And no promises, but uh, there may be uh, a surprise or two during that hiatus. Ooh, what's the next episode called, Marcy? The next episode is Data's Day. Ooh, fun. Data's Day. Uh, oh, that kind of reminds me of uh, the hero of Catan, is it? From Firefly? Was it when Jane Jane finds out that he's celebrated on a planet? The hero of Canton? Canton. Canton. Thank you, Marcy. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I bet Data has uh, accidentally become uh, a holiday on on some planet, and I bet it was, <laughs> I bet it was back in Contagion. Remember where they were like opening and closing the gateways to other planets? Data was, and and I bet at one of those, some people were walking around. And all of a sudden, they just oh, saw yeah. a giant pale dude floating above them, and that disappeared. And he is now worshipped as a god on that planet. And they visit the planet, and they all recognize Data. And then Data and Picard have a fight over who's like. Because they've both been considered gods by other races. So <laughs> it's a battle of like whose followers are better. Mm, definitely Data's. Data's that's, day. That's pretty good. <laughs> do it. I like this guess. That's good. Shelly, now that you've seen this episode, how long do you think it's going to take you to uh, binge the entire series? <laughs> <laughs> I know a good podcast you can listen to while you do so. She's like, never again. <laughs> thank you, Shelly. Thank you for coming on. You were a 
most delightful guest. Delight. You were the perfect oh, guest. Oh, I have episode. one other plug. I was just remembering what I was trying to get at uh, a moment ago is that I just heard her on her um, sister's podcast, uh, which is an excellent episode. It's called Generation Ripe. Uh, I did, her sister is Wendy McClendon Covey of Reno 911 and uh, the Goldbergs. Uh, it's a hilarious family. Uh, the Clendons <laughs> are the best. They're both super delightful. And that's a really great episode that's out. Um, Thank you. Very rec- uh, yeah, it's great. Check it out. Oh, good. What's Thank the podcast you. about? It is about um, the whole podcast. They interview uh, teenagers over 40. Absolutely. All right. Well, bye, everybody. We um, Be so careful. Much. Go through those stages. That's right. <laughs> All right. Bye. 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 You're absolutely wrong, Deanna.